Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Mother She Wrote Media. I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is actor-producer John Ailes. He's been in all kinds of TV and movie projects. Some of them are Euphoria, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, Sneaky Pete, and Star Trek Picard. There's a whole list on IMDb. I follow him on Twitter. I really enjoy his tweets, his tone, his everything. So we're going to have a lot of fun before we get into it. The Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener-funded, and woman-run. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup to see the variety of tiers offered, including the option to get two bonus What's Up episodes per week. Kind of like my online journal where I get a little more personal and talk about whatever is on my mind. There's also an ad-free tier with a much shorter intro. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Now please enjoy my conversation with John Ailes. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited you're here. I have been <laughs> following you on Twitter for some time. And, you know, it's funny because you're one of those guys that, I mean, I didn't really know too much about you, but you seem like a cool dude, right? And so, right. Um, <laughs> and so, cool, sure. you're a cool dude. And so, I was, the more and more I started interacting with you, I was like, yeah, he totally is a cool guy. And I have to have him on my podcast. So, um, and I've I also, you. <laughs> I've also been, you know, I mean, I initially started this podcast focusing on politics and I still talk about politics, but. I'm getting like overwhelmed with politics. So I need to have some fun and you seem fun. So, and like in the real way, not the sarcastic way. (laughs) 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 So I, you know, as I said in my intro, you're an actor and you're a producer and you got all kinds of credits and everything. So maybe we're going to get to some politics, but before we do, I just want to start with, Obviously, the writer's strike is going on. Now the actors are striking. I want you to talk a little bit about that and what's going on and and your point of view where it's concerned. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I started uh, acting professionally uh, after I graduated college in 92 in New York. And uh, there were a few outlets. If you were a successful burgeoning young actor... Uh, first of all, I grew up in Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley, so it was fairly easy for me to be by coastal at yeah. the time, which was really helpful. So I lived in New York and I was trying to get, uh, you know, a little life on the stage and I would come out here to visit my folks and try to get uh, going with television and film. Mm-hmm. And at the time, and this is the 90s, there were only for television it was only network television yeah as you know and feature films which were still being made uh to some extent i mean i would say to a larger extent for a broader audience uh you know there were all sorts of tastes put into film productions that that uh, met audiences uh, where they were and the only way to find those were uh, it, it was to see them in theaters uh, and then finally to watch them on cable uh, and then DVD. Mm-hmm. So as we know, in those days, the pay was similar mm-hmm. to what it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as has happened with all, all wages, I would say across the globe, but especially in the United States, wages have stagnated mm-hmm. um, to a place where it's no longer tenable i work as an actor i'm i think i'm fortunate i've also grown into the craft that i've worked really hard at for 30 years and also people know me more and see a track record so i Mm -hmm. i happen to be fortunate enough to be traveling and working a lot um i work way more than i did in the 90s Hmm. and i think i make about half as much really that's fascinating uh the only way to work if you in the 90s there was this there was a small but very uh predictable group of productions that would happen during pilot season and actors would flock to los angeles and get a pilot and it would kind of stave you off for four five six months Mm -hmm. you would also get a little bit of other work, guest stars, or maybe even commercials, or maybe a movie, mm-hmm. those kinds of things would put you together for a year, 
Yeah. And even allow you to save a little bit and plan for getting married and all those things. You would kind of see, oh, I could kind of see how I could be a journal, a journeyman actor. Um, but now, I mean, cable was the first where it was like, okay, the residuals are nowhere near as much, but mm-hmm. the top of show, which is what a guest star gets, was sort of similar to a network so it was and also the work was better so going on cable television made a lot of sense Mm -hmm. now streaming the work is way better (laughs) like the the content that people are making is incredible Mm -hmm. and the roles for actors are great the money is the same weekly ish rate or episodic rate Mm -hmm. but the residuals are less than a fifth sixth um on streaming almost almost negligible like it doesn't change the dial like it used to so an actor has to work all the time or be a star or be a regular on a series Mm -hmm. that lasts longer than two years that lasts three or four or five years and streaming loves to do series that last (laughs) one two three seasons yeah um, because they have the chance to just put it out there, see if it works. Eh, it's not really, eh, it's not a hit. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So long story short, the actors have given uh, way to negotiations every single time since, what was it, 1980? Yeah. It's when was been the a, last I think, it was, I think it was in the 80s. Was it 86? or I can't remember. But yeah, it's a long ass time ago. It was before I was a professional actor. I was just training and wondering what the hell I was going to do in my life. But <laughs> but each time, like the last time, it seemed the, the negotiations were really leaning toward the concerns of background actors and stunt actors more so than residuals and streaming and, and cable for, for actors who work on a regular basis. And we just took a deal. Uh, and that... Uh, th- that impending strike never happened, of course. Yeah. A- and and so it's time. Like, I have a feeling this is the last chance Yeah. Uh, for us to make anything. Uh, I-, I know it seems to the world that actors are flush and, and living the high life, but <laughs> I'm, I- I'm sure you know a lot of actors who work all the time, we're workers. Mm-hmm. We are actually the grist and toil of the entertainment business. We have to keep working. You have to get the next job. That's a lot of work to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's work and it, it isn't paying for European vacations and stuff. Yeah. uh, Until you make a hit and you know, I'm for, I'm really fortunate. I I am, I work all the time, but I don't have, you know, uh, a lot of series regulars in my recent past that, that can pay for the future. So right. we all we all need the working journeyman actor people of this world need uh, more compensation and a little bit more of the slice. And I know there isn't a lot of profits in the streaming world because they just put out so much content. Wow, it's too much to watch. Yeah, it is, and uh, that, that's how. I mean, I've had Bruno Amato on the show, who's also a journeyman Fantastic actor. Fantastic dude, he's yeah. just like me. Yeah. He's just like me. He works all the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And both of you are so, so cool. Talented. And I'm so glad that even though that bird is dying, I'm glad that it existed so that I could meet you too. <laughs> 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 because you're so fun. Both of you are fun. And it's just, I, I can't even imagine what it's like for you. I mean, I identify whenever you say in the 90s, because I was there, I wasn't necessarily booking all the jobs, but I was going on the auditions. I was studying. I was, you know, running around in that world. So I do know what you're talking about, and it's just, I can't even imagine how frustrating that would be. And, it, and, and you're right, people have this assumption that working actors are just rolling in dough, and no, there's a lot of people who are just making nice, you know, a good living, or sometimes there was a friend of mine, he works quite a bit now, he was in my acting studio, but, um, and I don't, you know, I don't know how much money he has, but I do know back when we were younger, in the 90s, he would have to go on unemployment in between jobs. So, you know, I mean, he wasn't even making enough to sustain in a year. So it's 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 a hard road. <laughs> it is a hard road. And and, and I, I fear it will only get harder. If this strike does anything to move the dial, it would help in the short run. Um, I know AI is, uh, for writers, is truly today's problem. Like yeah. it, 
it's today's problem. I, I will not tell you the name of the show, but I know a producer, uh, and I heard this secondhand, but this producer is a friend of mine who produced 87 episodes of a television series. Wow. And he popped those 87 scripts into ChatGPT, and the 88th script was not the worst draft. Really? That they got. <laughs> um, wow. And uh, that's a very, very scary problem yes. because now you need only someone to, you know, two people to mastermind and polish and sculpt uh, a group of scripts that can mm -hmm. be written by a computer. And that's fucked up. Yeah. Uh, for actors, it's it's pretty immediate. Yeah. Uh, for background actors, it's tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a real uh I don't, do you know anything about Unreal Engine? No. Uh, this is the this is the the software and hardware that are running the big projection walls where you can create the environment on the fly. Hmm. You can create a physical environment that looks photo real and moves with the camera's movements, and then you can put AI generated human beings as background characters that are timed perfectly and interact with the space. Oh my God. Uh, it's very troubling. I yeah. mean, it's simple now. It's, it's not right yet. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like we're watching AI commercials coming out that are not right yet, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we laugh. It's going to be right. Yeah. Really they'll soon. get it right. Exactly. Yeah. We know we'll, we'll perfect it. We fuck up everything else, but we'll get that right. <laughs> yeah. So, so background actors could really have a, have a reason for a strike and uh mm -hmm. i get it like yeah it's soon Jeez, wow that's just um that's some scary stuff in it i mean you know as you know i was an actor for a while and i, yeah. I was probably an actor for about a decade about a decade and i you know i mean i i can't say that i think there are people who are born entertainers and as far as the acting world, and I just don't believe I was a born entertainer. I wanted it, but there's all kinds of issues, so I'm not even going to get into the issues. But <laughs> but what I do want to ask you about, we and all it, have this. <laughs> I know we do. But here's one thing I want to talk to you about, and this is something that I talk about on my patrons only show um, a lot, and I want to just kind of bring it into this show because I've heard a lot of other actors talk about, you know, like manifesting stuff. And, you know, manifesting success. Do you ever do you ever utilize? I don't even know what it would be called, like the energy that we can't see. Um, is Do you use that energy in your thoughts in how in, when you're going up for roles or just in a general sense? Are you one of those people who basically thinks about it in the way of like, like, uh, let me just for, for if you understand me, I want to get to the people who don't. So like, for instance, there's the famous story of, um, oh, God, now his name is, is going out of my head. I can, I can see him. Okay, I'll think of Jim Carrey. So he before he yes, was famous. The check. Yes, the, the check and he used to go to Mulholland and he would sit at Mulholland and he would visualize his career and visualize like um, directors and producers telling him how talented he was. And he did, you know, write that check for ten grand, and then he got it. Do you sorry, ever do anything 10 million. like that? I mean, I'm sorry, ten million. Do you ever do anything <laughs> like that? That's interesting. Um, it's interesting you say that. Uh, so, uh, when I, uh, yeah, in the '90s, I became a yoga practitioner very seriously for five, six, seven years, and. A little bit later, when our kid was born, we found there was just less time to go away for three hours and do that. For some reason, I let that go away, and I began hiking, and I hike and meditate. Um, so that's something that kind of was always in my world. But then I'm sure you remember The Secret coming yes. out and being um, such a kind of like a whirlwind of people talking yeah. about it all the time, which was uh, when I started to read it, the manifesting of it just seemed a little bit it just seemed a little bit materialistic, mm -hmm. which I, which I appreciated because sometimes material is what we want. You know, right. we want nice things. Um, but, but I, I was handed by a good friend of mine who said the secret is, is, is cool. But, you know, from a, from a kind of structural perspective, this guy, James Canfield mm -hmm. wrote the success principles. Yes. Um, which was very, very similar. It was, 
it it was about manifesting. It was about uh, affirmations, mm-hmm. but it was also structurally planning goals that you could achieve to get to a larger goal mm-hmm. and doing those kinds of things uh, in a structure that he set up for you, which was pretty interesting. It also brought me to Napoleon Hill's um, uh, Think and Grow Rich was, was he was the the first printed famous famous book in the 30s i think he 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 interviewed the rockefellers and basically every every multi multi-millionaire billionaire oil baron uh multi-billionaire millionaire kind of personality and asked what they did with their day what their what their what the structure of their day was and how they lived all these things kind of led me to think, okay, there's something in here. And somebody handed me up literally a pamphlet, a 30 day, uh, little writing exercise where you would wake up in the morning, read a few paragraphs, think about it for 10 minutes, write a paragraph and come up with a single line affirmation that you're directed to write, uh, every day for 30 days. Now I did this, in 2017 or no god no (laughs) it was earlier it was like 2016 or 15 somebody handed this to me a friend and i i thought it was a little bit pat and a little bit uh (laughs) earnest but what it did was it kind of like got me every day to think about language that i use against myself (laughs) and it talked about just destroying negative Mm self-talk removing yourself from people who do that to you Mm -hmm. channeling whatever energy comes at you into a more positive way back out this 30-day thing like it actually made me talk to my friends differently approach problems differently road rage kind of like slipped away a little bit wow my understanding that i can't control everything was really important Mm -hmm. but anger will never get you forward right it will only block it up block that energy up and so i, I think that was the most hmm. i talk a lot about this to, to friends and acting students when i teach auditioning courses i talk about this very pamphlet because it's wow. so silly but <laughs> it actually groomed my i hate to use that word it it it, 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 it changed the way i use language in my mind That's fascinating. Uh, And, you know, that's truly um, I think that's what it's really about in manifesting, because I, you know, I mean, we manifest everything in our lives with the exception of the things we don't have control over. I mean, you know, like if there's a tornado, I can't control the tornado, but I can control what I do about the tornado. So, right. um, Can you control it? You'll be as safe as possible. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I'm the you know, I look back on my experience as an actor and I wanted it, but I told myself all the, all I did was basically explain to myself why it was never going to happen. And yeah. 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 So, and you do hear, you hear that. I was talking about that on my patrons only show today. Just, you know, it's like other people who want to convince you it's funny because all I ever heard was you should be a model. You should be an actress. You should be a model. And then, so then when you do become an actress, they're like, why are you wasting your time trying to be an actor? You know? So it's like, what? But, um, Overall, I do believe that it is what I, I love to use the story of Sylvester Stallone and, and you can even incorporate. I don't know if you saw Arnold Schwarzenegger's latest documentary. It's fucking awesome. But I haven't watched um, it yet, it's but I've been really told good. By, like you're like the fifth person this week. Yeah, he's fantastic. And he totally manifested his life. He, he visualized it. And 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 with Sylvester, he Stallone, believed it. Right. Like, yeah, he believed aside it. from like immediately. He believes all that stuff in his early in the 70s that yeah he, was, he just he made himself and i think the key here is that he didn't give in to the negative thought because we're human so we're going to have doubts or you know things are going to come in and it's really what is your dominant thought what is what are your dominant thoughts if your dominant thoughts are i'm not going to make it i'm 2x i'm 2z whatever but then you really want it well you can, you're not necessarily going to it's not going to be as easy for you and i think like of sylvester stallone writing rocky in his mind, he was Rocky, and Rocky was successful. It, there was no room for maybe it's not going to work, or right. you know. And he was, I believe, offered 
uh, money for the script and they said but we want someone else to play him and he was like no and he you know he was struggling at the time so he had this vision just as Arnold Schwarzenegger did and they just never took time to give the negative thoughts any kind of power they only stayed in the this is who I am and this is what I am so that's fascinating that you went through that and I find a lot of actors talk about that so I'm not surprised that you would utilize that it's fascinating yeah it's uh, I mean it, that takes a lot of courage especially in Stallone's case because he was being offered you know just yeah. to sell the script was something that um, you know, hundred thousand people cut off their arm to yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> but to stand, but to stand, stand so strong, it, that really takes true belief. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's true in everything that that requires technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the way you talk to yourself about how you do or do not do something well, mm-hmm. and this this you know, I'm talking about sport. Yeah. Acting, uh, writing, cooking, mm-hmm. you know, just the courage of your convictions to cook with uh, confidence. Mm-hmm. And uh, People say, I can't do, I can't do all the time. And I'm a golfer and I, I golf with people who are fairly good and fairly bad all the mm-hmm. time. And the ones who are fairly badder will be the ones who like the entire walk to next shot is chatter. Mm-hmm. about how bad they are. Yeah, exactly. And then that manifests because that's what they believe. That is their reality and they manifest their reality through their beliefs and their choices and all of it. It's like su- 100%. It's such a fascinating concept to me and subject and I just, I endlessly love it. Um, okay, I want to get to the part now where you grew up in San Fernando Valley because I, this is going to be the part in my podcast where I'm just going to be so jealous because I miss California so much. I lived there um, for about 40 years. And I saw you had posted about um, the Armenian bakery in Glendale, and I used to live in Glendale. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to know <laughs> where um, where did you live in the San Fernando Valley, and what was your childhood like in, um, as far as you wanting to be an actor? Did you know you wanted to be an actor? But first I want to know, like, where in the San Fernando Valley did you live? Right, well, first I was born in Westwood, all right. Dad had a little house in Westwood. <laughs> That's awesome. At five, we moved to Encino, where okay. very few people live. I, <laughs> I just did a, a Brendan uh, Brendan Smith's show, and we talked about because uh, he was living in Albuquerque, dreaming of the fast times at Richmond High Life, <laughs> and I I did uh, experience a lot of that. Ventura Boulevard mm-hmm. was still a sleepy, uh, you know, colloquial little town where yeah. there were orange groves and places to you know where balboa park is now around the sepulveda sepulveda basin there was maria's corn stand they grew their corn in those fields wow. i rode my bus <laughs> and you know grabbed a backpack here and there of corn uh illegally i apologize <laughs> maria's i was young my dad told me i shouldn't do it and i didn't uh but yeah, the San Fernando Valley, we lived in Encino. We mm-hmm. lived a mile up the hill from Ventura and Havenhurst. Wow. Uh, and so it was really hilly and mm-hmm. we couldn't really ride bikes easily where we were. So we had to be good at climbing mm-hmm. and we would get to Ventura Boulevard. That was kind of our strip. Uh, we wow. would pass Michael Jackson's house, you know, about <laughs> 0.2 miles away from Ventura Boulevard and uh, see a crowd of 100 people waiting outside. This was during the off-the-wall era. Yeah. And then Thriller, he was just kind of, he was the the localist, gigantic celebrity we had. Um, the Valley was, the Valley was cool, but I, I also talked, I also did talk about this kind of like psychological impact of our area code changing from 213 to 818 <laughs> and that distinguished us the loser now that's as the loser area code <laughs> <laughs> but that was a, that was the early uh early 80s late 70s yeah. where i was still pretty young <laughs> yeah i think it there there was a scene in um swingers did you see swingers um, yeah, which course. was actually my life. That was I was living that parallel. Li- I mean, I was the parallel female. Yeah, version. we all were. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you, you, you. I think we're the same age. We are. I'm. I'm. I think I'm a year older than you. Are you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I mean, t- 
yeah, Favreau and those guys mm-hmm. were they were that was a dream, no right? Shit. For their movie to get made and for yeah. that to have that kind of impact on us. It was yes, and but and uh, I've got a Vince. Va- I've told my Vince Vaughn story. I won't really tell it again except that he was a fucking asshole to me he was such a jerk but i used to see him all the time at the derby uh, did you ever go to the derby all the time okay there was swinging night a lot i know of, right? they did a lot of swing dance there. yes okay then now okay i have to ask you a couple questions about the, do you remember james infeld do you know who he is yes jimmy his jimmy infeld he 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 did some swing music but he also did rockabilly i had a fucking massive crush yes on yes him. yes you had a crush on him huge there's a whole story about him too, but um, but Vince, I would see Vince all the fucking time, right? And there was this guy. He worked. He was the doorman, and we kind of dated briefly. I'm not going to get into it, but anyway, it was brief. And so he would see me just gawking at Vince all the time. And he walked up to me one day. He said, "His name is Vince," <laughs> so <laughs> because it was so obvious. And and the long story short is that my girlfriend called Vince over, and he was just he was such an asshole to me. You wouldn't even believe it. But um. I, didn't I care. wouldn't believe it. He, he's, I don't know him personally, but it just—I can get—I can see how that would have happened. Yeah, he's—he's he's a jerk, but um, he—he <laughs> he was fucking great in that movie, and you know, he at the time was very cute, and that was my whole life. I was going to the Dresden and to all of those clubs and the parties. Marty and Elaine. <laughs> Marty and Elaine. Oh my God, they were so much fun. And I wonder how many times we were both at the Derby at the same time because I went there a lot. So uh, well, I had been. I, I guess I went there maybe a dozen times. So I must have seen you since it you were so must regular. Be. It must be. I mean, I mean, I was. I would say I would go at least twice a month, and it was always oh, on Saturdays, cool. Fridays or Saturdays. So yeah, that that was such fun times. Different era in Hollywood. Different era, but yeah, it's like that was a my girlfriend and I. We were actors and. You know, she she's the one who introduced me to the rockabilly kind of swing scene. And so, yeah, I was fully immersed. But that was so much fun. Okay, so now you grew up in San Fernando Valley. I want to ask you before I ask you questions about, you know, you being an actor. Would you describe your experience growing up in California as fairly magical? Because I feel like even though I grew up up till nine years old on the East Coast, I moved out to L.A. And I think it was kind of magical. Did you experience that? I mean, it was, I think, um, in retrospect, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I have conversations about my childhood, I, I think also, I mean, I do hate to say, I do believe the ex-gens, maybe the late, the early uh, millennials are the last mm-hmm. real analog childhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in general, childhoods were uh, more magical. Yeah. Um, it was privileged in yeah. Encino, even though my dad was a salesman, my mom was a retired teacher. We weren't like loaded at all, but we were a middle class family in a very, you know, nice upper class, upper middle class neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And our school opportunities were public uh, until busing and then public again. Um, and good. Uh, I, my, my memories of childhood, like Los Angeles exposure. It, it, what's interesting is you, you don't have to be in the entertainment industry to touch the corners of it as a child in the seventies and eighties right. and nineties. Right. It's it kind it's of friends there, of friends yeah. kind of draw you into very interesting pockets where you're suddenly eating dinner with, you know, a major league baseball star right. or, uh, you, you're next to literally Schwarzenegger in a restaurant or yeah. you see Michael Jackson at the yogurt shop or the record shop. It's like <laughs> those kinds of things happened all the time and they weren't like mind boggling. But if you're visiting town, that yeah. would be mind boggling. Yeah. Uh, so I think that we were a little bit uh, exposed to it and thereby not quite as feeling the magic. But as you look, as I look back, it, the time was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, especially in the time that we grew up and yes. yeah, I mean, it, it was, I mean, I, on my graduation, I lived in Torrance when I graduated high school, but uh-huh. for my um, graduation dinner, I wanted to go, it's no longer there, but it was the Mirabelle on Sunset Boulevard. It was my favorite restaurant. Yeah. And oh yeah. Yeah. It was a fucking awesome restaurant. And so my father 
my mom and dad are divorced, so my father came out for my graduation. And then, oddly enough, this was so weird, my aunt and cousin happened to win tickets on the radio for a trip to L.A. right you know, when my graduation was happening. So they got a free trip. I took him to Mirabelle, and who shows up but Sean Penn and Madonna? So it's just like, there oh you go, God. that's L.A. <laughs> and yeah, that is L.A. Don't take any pictures, you might get punched. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, we have to take a quick break, but we'll be back after this message. Hey, this is Kimberly. If you're not already my patron, just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. You can take a look at all the tiers and decide how you want to support the show. Thank you so much. And we're back. Okay, so... When you were this young person, did you know you wanted to be an actor? Um, I did. I mean, funny. I think the first thing I wanted to be was a priest. Oh, wow. Uh, my family was Greek, so Greek Orthodox priests. I was in the altar learning that, and I thought that was really, that was magic to me. Hmm. Um, I became more agnostic later in life, and uh, <laughs> for lots of reasons, good reasons. Um <laughs> That that faded. I wanted to be an attorney because I really love to debate. Yeah, <clears throat> this was super early. And then in my church, I was part of the junior choir, hmm. and the junior choir twice a year did a play, and I was five or six in my first one. I, I know I did some in kindergarten and first grade, accidentally, but when I was really involved in junior choir, we would get to go on a retreat to work on the play for a week and come do the play for the entire church community, which was a huge house, you know, 500 people sitting around having enthusiasm for these kids. <laughs> and I really felt like, oh, this kind of, like, this puts a spin on things. And there was a really famous kid uh, in my church who was exactly my age, Andy Lambros, was the, was the kid on the pier with uh, the Oscar Mayer B-O-L-O-G-N-A commercial, oh, yeah. the first one. <laughs> and he blew up like he was doing movies, but that commercial like made a career for him as yeah. a young person. And there was an agent there who was kind of like asking my mom, hey, well, Johnny's doing plays, maybe we try him. I was petrified. Yeah. For some reason, the professional aspect of it was not. I tried a couple of things. There was something that they wanted me to do where there was a naked woman in it. I was not into this <laughs> film. I had to like look in on a woman being posing for a model. It was very <laughs> super, super simple, but I didn't want to do it. So I, I did not uh, even try. And then in ninth grade, I got way more. Eh, that's not true. Seventh and eighth grade, I was doing plays in school. And then in ninth grade, I got really serious about it and started hmm. to take classes. Wow. Yeah. So then... I always kind of did, but I uh, I told my parents I was studying business when I went off to Cal State Northridge. <laughs> and then I <laughs> did not at all. <laughs> and yeah. and so were you, the? I mean, like, did you dream of Academy Awards or were you, did you have any right, like real specific goal or you just, I just want to act? I just wanted to be very good at acting. Hmm. I didn't, the awards I thought were interesting and fun evenings, but that seemed way out of place. Like I wanted to be very good at it. Hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until way late. I, I left Cal State Northridge when I realized that I wasn't learning how to act. And I went and trained uh, at Rutgers, which had a real professional actors training program. And that was, for me, that was how I kind of gathered tools that took, they would tell us all the time, it takes 20 years to become an actor. Hmm. Uh, and I never understood that <laughs> until 20 years later. I was yeah. like, oh, <laughs> I understand. They didn't mean success. They meant like how to wrap yourself around this and yeah. make it authentic. What was your, what, was there a technique that you studied? At Rutgers, they taught the Meisner technique. Bill oh, that's ran I... the program. Wow, and he that's was a Sandy Meisner guy for 25 years. They ran the neighborhood playhouse together. That's amazing because I studied uh, Meisner. It was uh, it was a coach named Wayne Dvorak, and I know that he followed I've Sandy. Heard of that. Yeah, he followed Sandy Meisner because I later I don't know when I lived in Northern California, I went to it was a one man show and it was a guy playing Sandy Meisner. And it was fascinating because I, wow. I, I learned through this. Was that... he doing it? I hate to be crass. Was he doing it old Sandy Meisner with the vocal box? No, or was he doing no, it he, he was young. 
And it was basically the story of his life. So it was a one man show. Of course, there were some actors in it to, you know, when he would be teaching acting class and stuff like that. But mainly it was just him talking to the audience. And he was so fascinating. And I did learn that what we learned was the authentic Meisner technique. And, And I also learned that when I went to another Meisner studio and saw that the coaches, I didn't believe that they were actually doing their, um, the people who were studying a service, because what I learned is when we, when you do repetition, you are not supposed to come from, and it's for all those who don't know, it's just an exercise of repeating what the other person says. And the main focus is supposed to be on I'd your love to feeling touch on this further. Continue, please say that again. <laughs> I said, I'd love to touch on this further. Continue. Oh, please. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the main focus is to recognize you know, you can recognize a physical thing, but what you're recognizing is your own emotions and the other person's emotions. And you're, you don't say, fuck you. You say, you're making me angry because that Precisely. means something to you. And so I, what I was seeing was these students basically going, fuck you. And then at the end of it, their coaches were saying, now tell me why you were so good. And it was like, what? What? This is not what yeah. we're learning. And I was fully prepared. I was expecting that I was going to feel like, oh, I found the wrong studio. But no, so that's, I love when I find other Meisner actors because I feel like, I mean, all acting, it doesn't matter what you study, but I think with specifically with Meisner, it's truly like a study in human psychology, you know? Yeah. I mean, I do find nothing more boring than actors talking about roles that they've played and how they did it. However, (laughs) when we're talking about something as broad as a technique in doing something, it's important that people like are disabused of misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. And for, from my experience over 31 years now, since I've left uh, learning the technique, uh, it's not for everyone, Mm -hmm. firstly, Uh, And at Rutgers and at the studios in New York at the Neighborhood Playhouse and at the Bill Esper studio and at the Maggie Flanagan studio, though people are paying, at the end of a session, there are final scenes. And whether or not an actor is good isn't the question. It's whether or not the work is right for them. Mm -hmm. They cut actors from the program to say, find another way. Mm -hmm. This this one you're resisting. And... Mm -hmm. In that first year of Meisner, the repetition exercises happen for a period of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, like you say, it's to deprogram. It's interesting. It's a little bit like we were talking about earlier. It's just to deprogram your pat responses yes. to what is an actor doing? And, uh, you know, what do I, how do I fill this space? Rather, you're just responding from how you feel in the moment, mm-hmm. what your partner does to you, mm-hmm. and then what you do in response. And that's the repetition exercise. It takes a very long time for that to be super easy to do. And then you're done with it. Like that's mm-hmm. the very basic building block of Meisner. And then you do scene work that that builds off of having done that mm-hmm. series of exercises. And then they start to talk to you about actions. And this is something that no one who talks about Meisner from the outside who hasn't studied it even knows exists because it's the most important shit. (laughs) Emotional preparation is great. That all happens in that first year as well. You're learning how to deal with emotional life that needs to happen for a result, but it has to happen organically. Mm -hmm. You can't force anything. So that's the first year too. But the actions are verbs that you attach to a moment that is asking answering the question what am i doing Mm -hmm. because acting is doing i'm sounding so boring but i'm so passionate about this technique for certain actors i've never seen actors behave more truthfully than the best actors at this school okay so uh sorry everybody we had some technical difficulties but we are back okay so you were talking about um, I was on a pulpit and I was screaming <laughs> at the masses to say to say to say that this technique is is it, it it's something you leave behind. All techniques are something that you learn, and once you get it, once you learn all the technique, I I work with actors who are coming out of a school where they are just finishing this technique, and I teach auditioning to them. Mm-hmm. You're wrapped up in a technique. 
yeah. you are tight you are you forget altogether how to improvise in it and how to ch- and how to really just do yeah. do for real and it just need you just need to be reminded this is true of all techniques once you learn something you're just so wrapped up in it but once you learn to play yeah that's where the that's where the goods are and so yeah i think people i think meisner is like gets this repetition thing that is a tenth of it the rest of it is so cool mm-hmm. and i've never seen actors who are better than some of the best acting students from Rutgers when I was there. Wow. Yeah, and I feel the same, at least from my experience. You know, I saw a lot of people come through the studio, and everybody was good enough to work. I mean, you know, everybody's got their degree of where they are in their acting, but everyone that I studied with uh, was good enough, even if I didn't like them. They were good enough to work, so... There you go. And you know what I learned? I think one of the most valuable lessons I learned, and it really wasn't even about acting, is my acting coach would always tell us, leave your shit at the door. And that helps so much. And I think that is something that you can do in all of life. Leave your shit at the door and do your thing and deal with your shit later. And that's that's such an, uh, an important lesson. And it's actually helped me in what I'm doing now as far as social media. Um, and who I deal with, you know, the grassroots people and all the people that I deal with. It's like, I don't care. I don't care if I, if I like you or like, there are people that I don't like and that have actually been really kind of jerks to me, but I'll still amplify them because I think their message is important. And I, so I just like, I don't care if they were assholes to me and there's lots of them, but, and you know, that's just, it's like the greatest message message, but okay. I'm going to ask you one question about a role that you played, and I know you think it's boring, but it's maybe not going to be the question that you think I'm going to ask you. But obviously, <laughs> one of the, one of the shows that you were on was Euphoria, and oh my god, that fucking show! For, well, the yeah. first question I want to ask: Did you ever work with Martha Kelly? No, I in that show I worked with no one but uh, Hunter Schaefer, who plays my daughter, right, and Jules. Ru, uh, I Rue Rue Rue. Uh, with, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, Zendaya, of course, uh, in one little scene, but she's also producing, so she's always around. Um, but no, I only work with my daughter. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Well, the reason I ask is because I went to school with Martha Kelly, and it's like all of a sudden, oh, she, really? Yeah, she's in everything now, so it's so funny to me. Um, but yeah, she's awesome. She's got that deadpan sense of humor. She did when we were in high school. She was always so funny. But the question that I wanted to ask you is, you know, in your role in Euphoria. Um, as the father of, of a trans woman, um, or actually a trans teen, what, yeah. what did that teach you just in your own personal life? What did you learn about trans? Well, experience? God, you know, I read the script, um, uh, after I got the role and, uh, a lot of times, you know, now they don't hand over the script right away until you're either being called back or you're getting the role. Mm-hmm. It's kind of strange, but I got the, I got the role. I got the script. I read the script. I panicked and called my wife because my daughter was a 16 year old girl. <laughs> and I was just like, can you tell me like what we know about Ella and what her friends are like and what is happening <laughs> out there? Because the script was so raw. Yeah. The least of which was Hunter's story. Um, Jules, mm-hmm. uh, because she was just this girl, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and we, when our daughter was born, two thousand one, the one of the families that had a child in two thousand, kind of inspiring the rest of a group of five or six couples to have kids all at the same time, mm-hmm. um, was so. He was a, he was this lovely young boy. He was super musical. But more than anything, he loved to come to our house because my daughter's dress-up collection, my daughter was a, 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 an only child who was becoming a skater, mm-hmm. uh, a, a figure skater, but she had like the most awesome dress-up collection in the world. Mm-hmm. And this boy like wanted to, just wanted to be in that world, wanted mm-hmm. to be a girl with my daughter. Mm-hmm. And it was a draw for him. And I, uh, at the time, you know, in our generation, trans people were so quiet about it. Mm -hmm. Like we did not get to be privy Mm -hmm. to what was happening 
to certain people who identified certain ways. They right. just didn't think we could handle it, I think. Yeah. And, and that's when I was young and, uh, and, and just being gay was a, uh, like being openly gay was a gigantically strong step. So it, it was kind of coming out on all of us in these middle 2000 teens. Mm -hmm. Like it was happening more rapidly. And I called this family whose son had now grown up and was a gay man. Mm -hmm. Like he was, you know, no longer uh, at all a girl or dressing in a feminine way. Mm -hmm. He's just this tall gay man. Mm -hmm. um, but my question to them was like, I am a father in this show who is actively supporting my very young child, young teens decision to change their physical makeup to, to sustain their sanity. Right. Mm -hmm. How, how did you guys deal with this when they were young? And there was this great conversation that we had because it, it was conflicting. Mm -hmm. It, and, and it just seemed obvious to me that I had to be more, oh, as an actor, I had to understand it better and be cooler about it. But no, it can be conflicting for a parent. Yeah, I can and imagine. It can show that it's conflicting. But I think the great thing about that character that I get to play is he's the only really, like, <laughs> really embracing and loving person yeah. <laughs> in that slice of the show. Yeah. Uh, show. And, and I think that if my kid were that, that were, you know, approaching that kind of decision at a young age, I think I would have to go with my kid's gut. Mm -hmm. I think that would just be the only way to do it. Well, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Plastic Martyr. Have you seen? Yes, yeah. very much so. I, I, she is such a wealth awesome. of education, too, because, I mean, she she talks about of course often you know she's getting trolled and and and, say, and people say horrible things Hard. to her so she let's see them do that in person exactly and she takes though their comments and makes videos out of them and educates everybody and you know yep. i mean as much as i i do whatever i can to be open and supportive of people and what they want i mean as long as they're not you know hurting me or anyone um but I don't know everything, you know, it's like you said, the, these are complicated things. And, you know, it's my take that, you know, hey, we're all just here trying to do our thing. And whatever makes you happy, whatever it is that works for you, it's none of my fucking business. Again, as long as you're not none really actively hurting, business. it's just none of my business. And the stuff that is my business, um, you know, it's it, it's made my business when it's it's on Twitter. So it's like that's why I'm so glad that she's doing these videos because she's teaching me things that I, you know, I don't know everything about the trans experience. I just don't. And so, well, she, that's the point of this whole last exactly. seven or eight years. It's really the internet has been exposing us for twenty years to things yeah. that we just wouldn't have been exposed to. Yeah. And no, this is right in our face. And some people are making it their life's mission to make yeah. other people's business the number one fucking thing they wake up thinking about how to <laughs> change. You know, it's yeah. like it's really it's a, just an insane time of people being experts on how to fucking change other people's lives. Yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? It's like, oh, my God, just it, it, it's beyond this whole this whole thing I was talking about manifesting what, what I've been doing, like, you know, off well, a little bit on my patrons only show, but just, you know, it, it, on my own time, I've just been I've been how can I say this? Like, uh, I hate saying the term spiritual journey because it just sounds so new agey and shit, but there's just no other <laughs> yeah. language for it. You know, I've been questioning things and wondering about why I'm here and why we're all here and this and that. And, and, and the more I, I don't want to call it research, but just the more information I come across, the more I'm just convinced it's like, Hey, we're all just having this experience. And, and, we, we need to just let everybody else have their experience. But unfortunately we're at this place that's so divided and we've got these fascists. Now we're kind of going to the political thing and we will be brief on this because I know this is coming to a close, but I mean, it's so horrifying to see that. Okay. The Republicans in 20, was it 2021 or was it 2012? It was 2022 when they knocked down abortion. And then like just a few months later we have an election and they, they basically get pummeled and, and instead of saying, okay, 
you know, we're going to look at what we did and we're going to look at what we did wrong and we're going to go back and we're, we're going to double down. Yeah, <laughs> double down and let's really go after people and tell them they can't be who they want to be and who they want to love and when they, they can't read this book and, and they can't have this. Listen, oh my God. you know, this is, this is, I, I, this is my, like, this is my, my message these days is it's a, it's about exposure and education. Mm -hmm. It's it, the exposure that that group of thinking people in quotes are getting is completely and utterly opposite and just as constant a drumbeat as yeah. we get yeah, with exactly. different messaging. Yeah, right. Our yeah. messaging is powerful to us. It's not all helpful. Much of it is bad. Mm -hmm. it, cable news, in my opinion, it, across the board should be completely swept away. I don't even want it for entertainment. I think it's not helping. I think we need information pipelines mm -hmm. that get verified by reporters, that is told in a bland way, <laughs> and save the other shit for late night, yeah. whatever. I agree. But, but, but people don't get people don't leave their towns in the these united in these united states they don't leave so they don't see people that are different so mm -hmm. everything else the other scares them and all they get is this drumbeat of terrible messaging that makes them hate further and faster and louder and with more verve than they ever would have yeah and so i just feel like people need to drive a little bit through the country, meet other people, try to be open-minded. You're not going to be as brave as you are on the internet. You just have to talk to people and see. We can get past this, but people need to stop watching this shit. The internet's bad and good and bad. I know, and I just don't even know. I don't know. I mean, the internet is, it's, it's good and bad, right? And as my boyfriend always us. says, yeah, we're just not necessarily ready for it, but it's here and it's not going anywhere. So, I mean, you're. And right. I don't think Twitter's failing, by the way. I think you don't. it's going to. I think it's going to stay. Okay, let let let's let's make this our last thing. So, why do you think it's not failing and going to stay? Um, turbulence. You know, mm -hmm. everything in life goes through turbulence. This is a very turbulent period because the guy who's running it is playing with it like a cat, playing with toys. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that's what he's doing. I don't notice the messaging getting as bad as other people do. My timeline is a lot stuffed with art and music, interesting thoughts, food. Hmm. I get involved in political discourse. I try not to be a knee-jerk son of a bitch. <laughs> but you can't. I forgot the name of Threads yesterday. <laughs> it's a week old. Someone said, find me on the other place. And I went to Blue Sky. I'm like, what is, okay, Post is dead. Mastodon, what do you, oh, there was another one. No, I'll never go to where Mark Zuckerberg is, is my thought. I, I mean, I have, a, I have an account at most of these places, but mm -hmm. I never touch them. You can't get discourse with people who all agree. It's, I mean, that's Instagram, that's fine. Uh, but Twitter is a place where people disagree. Yeah. And I'm finding people who disagree in the old fashioned way, where you just talk. Yeah. You, me, Joe Walsh, this dude, Dennis Herring, Seamus Blackley, Jamie Schler, freaking all these people are, are rad discourse. And <laughs> they're all in one place. You're going to tell me that everyone's going to go to 10 places? It's not, no, I, know, I mean, I, I sound know. like an old man, but uh, I am it's an true. old man. So <laughs> I'm going to stay on Twitter and find me there. <laughs> well, the, what I have to say is, I mean, I think, I think, okay, for me, the experience of Twitter, I'm not a famous person. I mean, I, I've made my way on the internet and I got verified and because I got verified, it gave me the opportunity to meet people like you and to interact with people like you more often. And then, you know, because I knew who you said you were right. And then and then, you know, if if somebody like you or somebody like, I don't know, you know, um, I can't think of somebody off the top of Molly Jong fast or whatever followed me, then I had access to their DM and I could say, hey, could you come on my show? And I was able to, you know, it was like everybody fucking wanted to do podcasts when this, when, you know, the verify, when yeah. I got verified. And then, of course, 
the podcasting world exploded during COVID because everyone was stuck at home. And so, you know, we were all podcasting and, and now the verification is gone and it's, it's changed for me. I don't, I don't know when people follow me anymore. I don't know if they're the real. Yeah, deal. that's true. And it, and it's it's completely. And you don't know if they're the real. If someone cool has followed you, you don't know anymore. Right. I mean, you, you, can you absolutely know if douchebags have followed you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've got, if you, you know, if somebody famous um, who I might want to have on my show comes on, famous whether politically or in any way, um, if they don't pay for a check and you know, and I don't and I don't go to their because sometimes you can go to their profile and say, okay, they have one hundred and seventy thousand followers and they joined in two thousand and ten. Yeah, this is the real deal. But I mean, it, it's it's just different now. The thing I I I hate Mark Zuckerberg for so many reasons, and I am pretty much everywhere now only because this is where my work is and I have to be where everyone is. But I fully um, I fully totally. resent going to Threads. I resent it. So, and I, I don't even give a shit about the data. Everybody has our data anyway. I don't. No, care. they have our data anyway, yeah. and they tried. They're trying to shut down TikTok because they're they're seeing that TikTok is going to be better at it. They've already done it. Are you kidding? They've already me? done it. So it's not that. It's that Mark has hurt our democracy, and he fucked yes. with me specifically because he took away my face. I had Facebook pages, and I was making a living as a blogger. It all went away in an instant when he got... It was back in 2018. So there's a personal thing I have with it, but, you know, accepting rubles for Russian disinformation, um, for allowing... No, Holocaust. totally. We, he's, he's, he was the, the uncorker of that worst pipeline I was talking about. Exactly. Like, exactly. That is for sure. So people, you know, all these people who are saying, oh my god, he's just better than musk it's like yeah okay you were the same people who were giving everybody shit for still having a facebook page a few years ago so it's just you know everybody's freaking out because twitter i mean i don't know what's going to happen with twitter but i do believe we need a ver. you know whether or not i'm verified it helps me get guests but regardless it helps us understand who to who do, who we can sit, you know, <sighs> trust out there okay this is ap this is ap telling me this story no 100 percent. i mean the Blurring that line was just a devious little, mm -hmm. little ploy. It, yeah. It's a joke. Yeah, he could absolutely have charged for Twitter Blue and kept verified Twitter what it was because yeah. that actually, famous or not, it it was somebody who had done the work they said they did, That's and it. Twitter checked up on it and made sure it was that. Yes. You know, now it's like now people who have it could be really, really the authentic real deal and they have to do it for professional reasons mm -hmm. but they're also every other eight dollar douchebag or eleven dollars yes. if you're gonna <laughs> use it on your phone <laughs> so i mean you know th that is a that was a devious ploy it was. terrible it was terrible. a stupid choice and i mean i don't it, it sucks if i it think is. it's purposeful yes, i mean it is it is but it's yeah still... some somebody somebody bigger Somebody bigger didn't want Twitter to be as good as it was at exactly. connecting us all. Exactly. And so now it's going to be a matter of all of the other people. The last thing I'm going to say on this, at least where Spoutable is concerned, because I've heard Spoutable being called like a, a liberal bubble, right? And I disagree with that because, number one, first of all, liberals disagree with each other constantly. And there yeah. are conservatives over there and there are independents over there. But to me, when I look at Spoutable, I don't know that it's going to be the thing to replace Twitter if that ever happens. But I do see it as its own little entity where that is the one place, that's the one kind of little oasis on the Internet where you can guarantee you're not going to have disinformation or targeted harassment and that's because christopher boozy is just going to do what he said he's going to do and he's going to make sure that doesn't happen maybe that's going to keep some of the political so that's moderation going. that they have to do yeah they're consistently yeah, who moderates well i mean it's his company whoever's in charge and he's still new it's a new company uh, yeah no so, that's a uh, huge antic undertaking and who's yeah. the arbiter of truth and i mean i understand well, and that's not great so much the arbiter it's like okay for instance if you come on and talk about how the holocaust never happened okay right that's, that's a, right you're going to the a <laughs> go <Right>. to z <laughs> <laughs> and if you go on and you target someone and there's like a troll army of people targeting you those people can get in trouble but i mean he's what not, if i'm sorry i'm gonna be a total douchebag what if somebody says ivermectin is a Nobel Prize winning medication that humans took for many years before blah, 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 blah. 
Well, they won't get kicked off for saying that. Okay, but will they not? No. And by the way, I don't know anything about it. I just know this argument is true, uh, that I've heard it a thousand times, and I'm like, looked it up, and you can kind of see that the National Institute of Health has posted this stuff, that ivermectin is not a horse drug for everybody. Right. <laughs> but we've demonized that, demonized that. Well, I, well, well let, let me go back and say... Please if, do, if, sorry. If there is provable... In for, like if there's a provable yes, lie, yes, yes. then yeah, that will be taken down. If it's an opinion and you say, I think ivermectin is the best, you know, drug in the world right. and I think everyone should take it, you're not gonna be taken down or get in trouble for saying that because it's coming off as opinion. But if you're selling it as the truth and you're saying this is the, the Holocaust never happened and right. you know, the Nazis nothing like That's that. That's a toughie. Happened. I mean I I appreciate that, but that is a toughie. Well, I think it would have to be, it really will have to be with what is provable and what we have all collectively agreed on as provable. And and then right. the rest of it just falls in the category of, you know, either... Maybe it doesn't get voted down by a panel of many people. I don't know if they have the vote down. Or, I don't know if they've got the vote down thing, but I just, and I don't, you know, I mean, it's still, the site just started in February. And, yeah, was um, that just February? It was. Just they were February. the first ones, or was it post? Um, post, I think. I'm trying to think. I think post. Mastodon, yeah. Mastodon post, post, and then Spoutable, I forgot. And I know. Literally forgot threads. Yeah, and Christopher Boozy is somebody who deals. Yeah, with, we follow him. I like him a lot. Yeah, he's constantly being attacked, and it's partly because of his color and his intelligence, and then it's also partly because. He has bought Sentinel, which is a website that basically tracks, you know, the trolls and the bots. So like he did Meghan Markle, like everybody went after Meghan Markle and they also went after, um, uh, what's her name? The Johnny Depp, the one who was with Johnny Depp. I can't think of her. Oh name. yeah. Amber, Amber Heard. Amber Heard. Heard. So, you know, I mean, she got a lot Look of... Look at me knowing a celebrity name. I, I never at you. <laughs> But I mean, you know, so of course all the people who hate Amber Heard and all the people, or, you know, they love Johnny Depp. And then they, Can you imagine having an opinion about this, by the way? No. I, don't <laughs> I don't care. But I know what you mean. But, oh, my God, like in, in England, you know, they talk about the uh, rags over there in England. They're so bad, and they hate Meghan Markle. Oh, they are. Oh, they're just, they hate her. So oh, much. they're ruthless on her. I mean... So and he he talks about that. So therefore, he's got like armies of trolls coming after him for various reasons. And then, of course, he starts spoutable. And because he is so incredibly smart and does what he says he's going to do, he's he's so many lies, so many attacks. But I've been on that site basically since, you know, the first day. And Mike, it is not so much a liberal bubble. It's just right now there's not, you know, Ted Cruz isn't there. So it's hard. You can't really speak truth to power over there because it's not all over there. Right. So, and that's, Although you know, that's he, really good. He's not see. listening when I say he's a <laughs> bloated gas bag, but I, I know him, what you mean. When I tell him, he sometimes I say something smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, we'll you know, who knows what's going to happen with this whole so, social media kerfluffle. But at least for now, I'm grateful that. You know, we're still connected, uh, at least on Twitter. And I imagine I think that we're connected we, everywhere. We probably are. And um, I just I, I really love this experience of getting to know people on Twitter and then inviting them on my podcast and having conversations. I fucking love it. It's so awesome for me. So <laughs> can I tell you, I've uh, just as a quick note, uh, there are a few people who uh, I have become that kind of friend with where. It's like we why, we live in the, even we live in the same town or we're going to be in the same town. Why why don't we put it together? Uh, and I started to do it. Like I went yeah. and visited Jamie Schlur, who's I, uh, life's a feast on Twitter, and she owns a little bed and breakfast in Chinon, France. I happen to be working in Europe, uh -huh. and I took a train to see her. I met wow. a Twitter friend in person. <laughs> it was incredible. I met Seamus Blackley, one of the dudes really? I was talking about. Yeah, I know him. I know Seamus. In person, met Dennis Herring in person. Like, wow. we're starting to put it over tacos and drinks. So That's awesome. it's fun. To, it's fun to put these real personalities yes. that you really get to know to face. It truly is. And I'm is. so glad to hear your voice. Yes, and I, exactly. And I feel the same way. So, all right. We have been blabbing for quite some time. So um, we're going to wrap it up. But before I let you go, please tell everybody where to find you. Of course, on Twitter. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm. I am John Ailes on Twitter. I am John Ailes, and then on I... Twitter, and I think on Instagram I'm Jackass Dog for some reason. But uh, that was my first handle, and I never changed it. But uh, <laughs> that is also John Ailes on Instagram, and uh, I don't have any content yet. But I'm about to get, start doing a little bit of cooking uh, for YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my God! You have to send me those. I want to watch. I love cooking videos, so you definitely have to. Send oh, me those. good. I'm gonna do uh, it my way, so you'll appreciate it. <laughs> oh, I will. I totally will. I'm excited for those. When are you gonna start doing that? We're starting now. I'm actually my friend is coming this week to awesome. kind of plan out some stuff. Okay. Well, please don't forget to send it to me. I, I specifically. No, you got it. Awesome. Okay. Well, then I'm. You know, I'm everywhere. I'm author Kimberly on uh, you know on twitter uh, on spoutable i'm kimberly johnson l-e-y don't forget and then i'm over on threads i'm my whole name kimberly l-e-y and with no e a-n-n johnson so find me in all those places john it was super... find her follow her <laughs> find me follow her find me follow me john it was really <laughs> really really awesome finally getting to talk to you and i'm so glad that we did so um i will probably ask you back and maybe we'll talk about politics the next time <laughs> uh, food we'll see okay, okay food politics. we can talk about food we i have opinions <laughs> thank you so much john thank you bye-bye